working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, my guests are drummers, drum techs, and entrepreneurs, Harry McCarthy and John Hall. Harry has offered his technical skills on the road and in the studio for many major artists, from Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, The Eagles, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Mark Knopfler, Carly Simon, Hall and & Oates, and most recently, Keith Urban. In 1989, he started his cartage company, Drum Paradise, in Los Angeles, and in 1994, relocated to Nashville, Tennessee, where he established Drum Paradise Nashville. John Hall is best known as the drum tech for Rich Redman. After finishing college and relocating to Nashville, he began working as a drum tech almost right away on tours as well as in the studio. He has worked with such artists as Jason Aldean, Paramore, OAR, Young the Giant, Story of the Year, and many others. Harry and John's latest venture is the Drum Pad, a new teaching facility for drummers of any age or skill level. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. When you're on iTunes, please subscribe. This helps us grow. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you use the hashtag WorkingDrummer, we'll include you on Instagram and our stories. If you want to support what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast, there's a couple ways that you can do that. On the homepage of our website, WorkingDrummer.net, you can find a button for PayPal. There's also a button that is a link to our Patreon page. Patreon is an easy and convenient way to support the podcast on a regular basis. Donations start at a dollar, and you have access to the bonus material that we're providing on a monthly basis from past guests. As always, any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. Here's our biweekly check-in with Arjuna Contreras as he makes the move from Texas to Nashville. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Uh, I am sick again. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time we talked, I was sick. Yeah, or you were on the back end of that, man, coming. Yeah, I was coming coming out of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I got it caught it again here a couple weeks later. Oi. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like I was, you know, I was at the uh, at the Nashville Boogie this last week in uh, in town. And you know how people say that, like, you know, oh, well, after a week at NAM, you know, you might end up with, you know, NAM thrax or whatever. Right. You know, it's like I got, I think that's what happened. I think I got got sick from, from being around the festival every day for like four days. The Nashville booger. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I think I was, tr- I was trying to come up with a name. I was trying to come up with like a funny name that I would call it. Uh, when I talked to you, but you just you just did it right there. You did the well. Natural booger. I'm not I'm not de- I'm not delirious like you are right now. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, man. Booger, man. Nashville booger. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, how was you? You're in. You're back in Texas. You drove back there today or last night? Yeah, yeah. Last night, yesterday, I drove back. I um, yeah, I have a uh, a couple days of rehearsal. Um, with the band, and then we we have a, a fly date on Saturday, 
Um, well, actually, I think we're going on Friday, but we're playing in Seattle on Saturday. Okay. Uh, some kind of a private event. And then we're back on Sunday and then uh, another day of rehearsal. Some At some point, I think it's on Wednesday. We leave for tour on Thursday. So I'm kind of like back here until we until we leave. So if anyone is flying out from, where are you, Dallas? Yeah. Dallas to Seattle on Friday. Watch out for Typhoid Arjuna. He'll be carried. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Carrying the, res- the remnants of the Nashville booger. <laughs> the Nashville booger. Um, but tell us about your time here in Nashville, man. How was it? So I was in town for like the last week and a half. Okay. And, uh, you know, four days of that was, 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 pretty much all out at Opryland Hotel and Nashville Palace and kind of in that area out there with where these uh where the boogie the boogie happens. And that was super cool, you know, like a lot of the, you know, people, the the musicians that are in this like, you know, rockabilly scene sure. uh were there. Um I actually got up and played. I wasn't playing with, you know, Reverend Horton he wasn't playing there, but I was just kinda hanging out and a bunch of different bands, uh, well, three different bands called me up to sit in with them nice. while we were while we were there, which was fun. And you know, I got a chance to play with some guys that are, you know, pretty famous in the in the uh, in the rockabilly scene. When you sit in with them, do you know what you're going to play? I mean, do they call out a song the way you would sit in, like at a blues jam, or maybe even like a Broadway gig or something like? I mean, like lower Broadway gig in Nashville or something like that, where someone's yeah. going to call one of those standards. Yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty similar. Um, well, in the one case of like the, the the band, the Psycho Devils, like he had said, he's like, "Oh man, well if you if you get up, you know, let's do like." Uh, a Johnny Horton song, or let's, or maybe you know something like a like a a well known like rockabilly okay. uh, cover, or like an El, like an Elvis tune or something. Mm-hmm. I think we did, I think we did Blue Suede Shoes, but kind of like a like you know, of course, like Elvis, but we did kind of like a more of a, a rocking mm-hmm. like version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, like uh, you know, I think in those kind of situations, like they they'll pull from like like any like standard rockabilly tunes or. Or um, or blue, even like blues type stuff, you know, because there's a lot of that element in in that style of music. When I got up with um, with Sonny from Planet Rockers and Deke Dickerson and a couple of the guys from Hillbilly Casino, in that situation, we actually did um, Planet Rockers tunes because this guy was is really well known in the scene, and so we were now that in that thing, like in that at that time. I didn't actually know those songs. I had heard one of them before, but mm-hmm. the other two I didn't actually know. Luckily, like the guys in the band looked back at me real quick and, and you know did like the stock thing. Oh, it's a, you know, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a surf, it's a surf beat, you know. And there's a couple of stops, so we'll give them to you. You know, kind of like the standard like, you know, um, hints that you would hope to get if you're in a situation and have to sit in when you, when you know when you don't know the song. And I know that there's like there's language for certain genres. Like if you're playing, if you're working with a reggae band, and and they're like, okay, this is one drop, this is horse groove, this is rub a dub, right? That has certain genres. So, I mean, uh, certain terms that fit that genre. Um, you know, this is four in the floor. You know, this is a a bassy swing. Are, is there something in rockabilly that's that's like that? You say surf. This is surf groove. Like what's a surf groove? So a surf beat would be like, you know, the boom, 
you know, like, like, you know, that kind of a thing, you know, and and, uh, one though that I I find is like specific kind of to rockabilly because I never really heard it called this before. Um, but, and actually the rev refers to, uh, like, uh, a push beat is what he calls it. And I guess I've heard it other rockabilly people call it, but really what it is is like a, like a Motown, like, you know, all four on the snare kind of feel. Oh, okay. You know, like, uh, you know, that sort of a thing. Like, you know, he calls it, uh, when he was teaching or like talking to me about this song that's on our, the latest record, the one that I recorded with them, the song called Don't Let Go Go of Me. It's a ballad, but it goes into like, like uh, what he what he calls a push beat, and I'm like, oh, like a Motown beat. You know right. that beat goes along with, you know. But uh, so I mean that, yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one of that's one thing you know particular for that style. And I would say the feel the the feel on it is a little bit heavier, maybe. Like I will say there there is a, it's a you know the, as far as like what the beat is like rhythmically, like it. I think of it as a Motown beat. Do you ever read the Onion? You ever see the articles on the Onion like yeah. online and stuff? Yeah. There's a great headline yeah. that circled around uh, for a couple of years, and one of them is uh, "Infant of Rockabilly Parents Don't Know Doesn't Know What the Fuck Is Going On." <laughs> I saw that. Was that the Onion, or was that like HardTimes.net or something? It's it's, it's like, under that umbrella, you know, like ClickHole. Yeah, yeah. It's one. Of, it's one of those. Yes. In fact, that just came out. I just saw that. Like, they, I'm, like you were saying, it's probably been around forever. But like, uh, it's like, yeah, daughter of rockabilly couple is constantly wondering what, what the, the f-, f is going on. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. The, she goes. Look to, at her face. I know she goes to friend's house and they have TV and the parents are wearing like different clothes and don't understand why dad has his hair <laughs> slicked back and the pants rolled up. Why they have to drive yeah. a nineteen fifties car and oh exactly yeah. i love it oh, i mean so great. yeah i mean it's a whole it's a yeah. whole lifestyle you know with people who are really into it like they do it like all the way you know and it's crazy and i get it like I, yeah. I think it's super cool you know i haven't mm-hmm. really you know like i said i'm i haven't been as in-depth on it you know in my life but man like people look sharp you know they look a lot sharper than i do when they get you know you know, get their pompadour up, and the jeans have to be rolled a certain amount, and everything I know, that's, like that's a certain. Great. Yeah, it's a real specific thing, you know. Like, yeah. Did you have a session here in town? Uh, well, that was going to happen. You know, uh, when I was in Nashville, that kind of got put on hold as well. When I told the guy that I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna make it into town, gotcha. Uh, he, I, and I did get a chance to hang out with him a bit at the Nashville Boogie. And we have plans to still do some stuff, you know, but at this point now, it looks like it won't be till July. Just just balancing studio and live work. Live work happens at a very specific time. Session work, yeah. it, it, depending on the situation, sometimes can be, you know, there's some wiggle room often. Yeah. Yeah, because I think he's got some other projects like on the, on the, on the, on the burner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted me to do um, was a little bit less is a little bit less pressing than some of his other stuff, you know. So gotcha. it's good to hear your voice, dude. Yeah, thanks. Likewise, man. Well, I'll give you a shot uh, soon. Yeah, it sounds like a plan. All right, sounds man. Like a plan, man. Have a good day. Get some rest. Cool. Okay, we'll do. Talk to you soon, brother. See ya. Bye. All right. Here it is: my conversation with Harry McCarthy and John Hall. 
I tech for Rich out on the Jason Aldean tour, as yeah. you both know. Um, and we just kicked the tour off uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Um, we've been in rehearsals for the last month or so, um, getting you know all the production ready, getting the band, getting the dust. What, what's involved? What's, we'll get into the tech thing, but what's involved in preparing for a tour? Um, on our end, um, not as much. Um, our band is, you know, they've been playing with Jason together for over a decade now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, those guys are pretty much ready to go at all times for, you know, for touring. Um, so we'll, we'll usually go in for maybe two or three days uh, with the band, and they'll play through the songs a few times, just kind of get the get the dust off and get the you know the, the juices rolling again um and then the the time consuming part of the rehearsals is the production rehearsals where we go and you know they have to program the, the lighting and video and everything for the live show um which means the band has to go in basically play the show down and yeah. uh you know we'll our front of house guy will record it send it to the light programmers and the content designers and then they wow. will you know work on the content the band will come back in, play down the show. They'll take their notes, see how it's working with a live performance. They'll do the same thing. So, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to get everything dialed in and, you know, make sure the production looks right with, you know, the show design and everything else. And how do those changes in production affect you? Not really at all. Really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, that's, that's... A lot of trips to catering. Yeah. <laughs> well... You put on a few pounds. Yeah, so, I mean, our prep work is done, and Harry can attest to this, like, our prep work is done with the band before that so the idea is you know for the band to be ready you know so when we go into those full production rehearsals there's no oh we got to figure out what guitar we're going to play in this song and how how do the drums sound and how's the the band sound like we come in we're dialed yeah so we do our thing and mm -hmm. it's it's all about you know, content design. Yeah. 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 So we, do, we don't want to be the hold up like, ah, hang on on the, uh, you know, design in here, guys. We're we got to, you know, build some looms or figure out, like we have to have all the kinks, like all the little bugs worked out. So we're, we're pretty much show ready when we go into those rehearsals. Is, is there a union thing involved in the time constraints of production rehearsal? Um, somewhat like when we yeah. do load in like obviously right. sometimes that can affect it but it's usually spread out i mean it's not like a show day where we're like we have you know six hours to come and load in everything and done mm -hmm. like they, mm -hmm. they'll block out a rehearsal facility for you know two or three weeks so they yeah. can come in and take their time and you know make sure all the trussing is the right length and you know the weight capacity of the ceiling yeah. in the venue and they usually <laughs> allow a few days yeah prior to the band coming in yeah, to get everything up and running. Yeah, I mean they they were in full production rehearsals for almost two weeks before our band even went in to do the show. Oh, yeah, so, those guys work, man. Yeah, so hard. Long, it's long days and hot days and it's, yeah. yeah, for those guys. So. Yeah, and then how long does the tour go? Um, this year's a pretty light touring year. Okay, uh, we'll we'll finish up the first week of October, um, second week of October, I guess. Our our last tour date is uh, I think September 29th and then we have a week and a half off and we go do one stadium show in, in Texas uh, and then that'll be it for touring for the year as of now yeah um, there's talk of a new album there's okay. you know been whispers of that so I don't know if we're gonna have some media at the end of the tour but you know we'll, 
play that by ear. So with a, with an organization like Jason Aldean, there, I'm guessing things pop up from time to time aside from what's on the book schedule-wise. Yeah. And when you have a committed group like his band and everybody that surrounds that organization, you guys can make plans after the tour is done, but also know that, hey, we got a chance to play on Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. next month, put it on the books. Right. Yeah, it's just something to be conscious about. Like, yes, usually December, January. I mean, it's pretty dark um, these these days on our tour. But um, you know, from the end of the tour up until holiday season, and then after January, like, yeah, be mindful that something might come up. Right. You know, I think with any artist, you got to be. Ready to go. Ready oh, to go. hey, I'm back. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, yeah. Uh, That's good. There you go. I mean, I know I work with Keith Urban these days, and he's usually adds something will come up. Right, yeah. right. TV show or a local show at Opry or the Ryman or benefit for somebody in town. Sure, sure. And that's the thing about like living in a town where there's so much coming out of. There's touring. Uh, tours are emanating from here. Production is emanating. The, a lot of the artists live here. The band lives here. And I think the chance to like do things like the Opry or I remember yeah. a few years ago when uh, Keith played downtown on Lower Broad, kind of like a almost oh, like yeah. a this 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 stunt pop ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to be ready. So what's been happening now? I, you you had some issues, uh, some just like life things with kidney stones. Yeah, I was pretty sick. Uh, yeah, a few months ago, but yeah, I turned it into a positive. And yeah, that's awesome. taking better care of myself. Right, right. Which is it jump-started me to go i don't want to be this sick especially traveling no it's the worst being sick out on the road yeah um but this year um keith it's kind of a light year he's working on a record and we're playing pretty much weekends okay and seth roush is the drummer for keith yeah and uh you've been working with keith since before seth Uh, yeah chris McHugh. McHugh. brought me into the organization which mm-hmm. was great i work with chris locally at uh here at drum paradise yeah da- or downstairs <laughs> we're at the drum pad yeah that's right and um it's been going great yeah you know yeah. i i enjoy working with seth and 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 chris uh, was awesome too yeah uh so light year let's get into uh a couple things so we're at drum paradise and we're in the drum pad, which is connected to drum paradise. So let's talk a little bit about the drum pad and what it is and kind of what you guys are doing to create something that is a resource for drummers is a resource for. Yeah. I'll let John follow me up on this, but I, I had this space here available. I used to have a tenant up, up here and, um, I was trying to think what I could do to go hand in hand with Drum Paradise and um, decided to open up a couple of practice rooms. There's a small practice room with two drum kits right. and the bigger room that we're in right now, um, I thought it would be a great idea to have master classes right. with some of the guys we both work with in town or guys that are coming through Nashville on tour if they have a a day off 
um, a teaching facility, um, more intimate and more personalized as a big as opposed to a big drum clinic. Yeah, it's it's a it's a decent sized room, and like we had around twenty five. Yeah, that's about the people limit in our in our two uh, hundredth episode, which was great. And so when you have these masters, so upcoming master classes, we have uh, Todd Zuckerman, right from Sticks. He'll be in um, June eleventh. June eleventh, and then following up that a few weeks later is Chad Cromwell. Right, June twenty eighth. So, I mean, here's an opportunity to get in, and it's it's very limited seating, but the advantage is you get this really personable one-on-one with, with these people that we've been following for years and see online, and it's just great to have that with 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 both these, these players. Yeah, there is something to be said for the intimacy of it or the, the size of it mm-hmm. because – We've all been at bigger drum clinics, and yeah. when they go to the Q and A, it could just take a different direction, and it and it eats up a lot of time. This seems to be a little bit more on point mm-hmm. and one on one with with who's here. Yeah, if somebody's passing through town, or maybe they just moved to town, and they need a place to rehearse for um, what for whatever reason. That's something you guys offer as well, or a place to teach. Yeah, yeah. Um, not as much as uh, like having a band come in and rehearse. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you're a, a drummer, you have a session or an audition or something coming. You know, something mm-hmm. coming up like that. Um, there's, you know, we have the facility in here with drum sets already set up. Yeah. So I mean, you, you can, can walk in with your sticks. Walk in with your sticks, and you're band. playing. You know, now you don't have to load in and bring your gear. I mean, there's a lot of you know practice facilities, but you have to bring your own gear. And so we 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 want to offer you know a pretty um, uh, I don't know just a easy experience for you know I I I I just need to go practice for an hour. You know, I've got five songs. I'm going to record at a session, and I I've got the demos, and I just need to you know run through them really quick you can come in and spend your hour playing mm-hmm. and not 30 minutes loading your gear in and out and you know yeah rushing through your right practice session right so, right yeah that's awesome tell us about drum paradise and what drum paradise is <clears throat> well currently drum- the way it is now yeah currently um it's a facility here in nashville uh, i warehouse probably 30 to 40 uh clients drummers that keep their equipment with us if they have a session uh, they'll call us and and we literally will check the gear before it goes out if there's any drum head changes that need to be done it's a personalized service um that's kind of was the concept when I started it years ago. It's more than just like, oh, your gear needs to get there. Here's the cases with this guy's name on it and, and throw it in the truck and then drop it yeah. off. It's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. Years ago when I started it in Los Angeles, yeah. I saw a need for uh, the service end of it. I worked at a cartage company there that did drums, keyboards, guitars, and you know moved all kinds of musical equipment. And the the drummers would definitely need 
stuff done to their kids. Mm-hmm. And some guys like to do their own work and others don't want to deal with it. But um, when I started my company, I figured, hey, give me your business. I'll take good care of your equipment like it's my own. As far as the setups go, they would come in and and would map it all out, set it up. Some guys like to use a carpet, some don't. But basically, if we're going to do a session for you, prior to it, I'll have all your specs Mm. where – Exactly what symbols you want to use, what snare drum you like to start with, and where you can literally drive to the studio and you're going to walk in and it's going to be right, very, very close to you setting it up yourself. Time is money so much so, yeah. especially in a town like Nashville or any place where there's a lot of production happening. And if you're spending time setting stuff up... It's just, just I imagine. It's good to get a jump on it. We yeah. like to get the kits in the night before. Oh, okay. Or if it's an evening session, a little bit later in the day. Usually, mm-hmm. the studio will allow us to get in, get the kit set up, and they get a jump on it too, and they can mic it up. Yeah. Getting back to Drum Paradise, what we do is, um, aside from having drummer clients, right? Yeah. We also do drum rentals. So if you're a band coming into Nashville to track, it's more cost effective to rent as opposed to freighting in all yeah. of your backline. And you guys have everything. We have a nice selection <laughs> of, of equipment. Uh, so so I have to say this. Uh, I was talking to my wife about our uh, conversation today, and she said, is it truly drum paradise? I said, yes. It is. Matter of fact, I have some pictures on my phone still from last time I was here. And she's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, the warehouse is... <laughs> it's uh, amazing. I mean, yeah. it feels good when you walk in yeah. the warehouse. I, I've had a lot of people come through and go, wow, this really is drum paradise. Yeah. We have a lot of kits and um, a lot of vintage stuff. Yeah. And I've been at it a long time. So... Uh, it's been it's been a good run. Yeah. So you started in 1989 in Los Angeles with yes. the first. I started Drum Paradise with Jeff Chonis, who's Ringo Starr's drum tech, mm-hmm. and we teamed up years ago in LA. Um, he was working with Kenny Aronoff, and I had uh, Harvey Mason and Luis Conti and Tristan Bowden, and and we really. You know, we teamed up and we pulled our resources, and it was a uh, it was a great thing. And the whole time, Matt was keeping in mind personalized service because there's a lot of components and moving parts. Not literally moving, but setting up a drum kit. What would be an example of something that's personable that you do? That it's maybe- something as simple as if you're going to come in and I'm working for you, that your snare throw-off is in the right spot. Most mm. guys like it at 9 o'clock. few like it at 6 o'clock. But something, oh, that's, yeah, for sure. something that's simple. Yeah. Um, usually when you see somebody sit at a drum kit, and John would attest to this, most drummers like to fidget anyway, and <laughs> they'll just touch something but not really move it. They have to go through the motions, and you can relate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But our whole thing was is set it up 
so we nail it. Yeah. And and that's that's been a good thing, you know, like people appreciate that that our clients and i imagine some of it is mechanical you can set memory locks you can have a picture you can have whatever but i am just the experience or knowing the drummer and be able to sit behind it and have a feel of okay this is the way chad cromwell likes his rack tom i just know that yeah it's a feel thing we we know when we set up drums it's more of a feel thing when yeah. you sit behind a kit and it's very for your listeners it's real basic stuff though like something as simple as the muffling in the kick drum when you're sit, you know when you hit the kick bass drum the first time you want to make sure the padding is where it needs to be yeah where you don't ha- have to get out and bend down and yeah 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 stuff like that um your hi hat if it's in the right place in mm-hmm. relation to the snare drum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, memory locks and all that stuff, you know, makes it easier. And you have a crew that's working here as well. I have a small crew. Um, John Michael Brady's been with me a long time. He literally uh, does the daily scheduling and, and runs it. Mm-hmm. So that allows me to travel and, and, and do other things. Right. And we have um, a couple other guys that, that come in, uh, Travis and Travis. We call them T1, T2. But mm. they work... Uh, normally, Matt, we're ahead of the game getting equipment in. So, sorry, I didn't shut my phone off. <laughs> oh, hang on. I got to go set up some drums. It may be. Um, the guys um, will come in at 3, 4 o'clock, load up, and go. Yeah. Delivering drums for this evening or for the morning and then rounding up and picking up for sessions that were earlier in the day. Yeah. Was there a point in which maybe you were in L.A. and you're like, I'm good at this. I know I can do this. Was there something, an epiphany, uh, uh, something that triggered this decision to feel like you could step out on your own or in partnership well, and I'm begin glad- it? I'm glad you asked me that because <clears throat> there's probably a lot of drummers out there wondering drum tech or cartage. Like, first of all, when I moved to LA years ago, Rick Murata, who and Jerry Murata, my buddies, I grew up in the same neighborhood. But Rick was going out to LA to do some work, and he, I guess he needed a car taken out there. And he asked me if I could drive it out, and hey, maybe you should stay out there. Long story short, I did decide to stay out there and wanted to work. And through friends of a friend, um, I got a job at a cartage company called Leeds Instrument Rentals. And they did cartage for many top players out there. But me being from New York, that was the first time I was exposed to a cartage company moving right. equipment for music professional musicians and i'm like i never had heard of that like is there a history of that kind of thing i mean like when when did this do you well, remember when that kind of thing started you know that's a good question because hal blaine rest in peace i asked him a few years back when he did it in the 60s late 60s I was really curious about, hey, Hal, how did you get your drums 
from place to right. place. And he's right. working two sessions, three sessions a day back in the day. He told me he had one individual, you know, younger kid working with him, and he had keys to all the studios. Think about that. They trusted him to go in and leapfrog drum kits from studio to studio. I mean, that's that sounds like an exceptional situation. It was for one but player. I, I I don't know when SIR started, but as we know, there's quite a few companies that move musical equipment. But to answer your question, I worked at this company and I was amazed at, wow, like these guys don't set up their own stuff. They just drive to the studio and boom, it's all there. Worked there for a while and they had some really high profile clients, Carlos Vega, Harvey Mason, wow. some of the Toto guys. And I really gravitated to, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, in a perfect world, I would love to have played drums. You know, we all mm -hmm. have aspirations of playing in the studio and on records. But when you see the guys that are doing it, when I got out there, John Robinson, Jeff, the list is a mile long of the Jeff guys. Picaro. Yeah, the guys that yes. hard, hardly any competition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, I think I'll stick to setting drums up. But um, I decided, Matt, to break out and do it for myself. And how I built it was is to just try and go the extra mile or the little yeah. bit more distance for for the needs uh, of the drummer. Offer something unique that maybe someone else wouldn't yeah. do. That makes all the difference, though. Oh, we met at the PASIC convention in Indianapolis, um, 2011. Okay. Um, I was with a indoor drum line, uh, Rhythm X, out of Columbus, Ohio. And he was doing just as, you know, his regular drum clinic. This, you know, he does dozens a year. Uh, but we did a uh, introduction to indoor drumline clinic. So it was our whole drumline. We did an hour, basically, uh, question and answer, and like uh, demonstrate how we run our rehearsals and how how the uh, writers arrange the snare snare line parts and the baseline parts and things like that. Um, and Rich. I met Rich the night before we did our clinic, and he was a Nashville guy. You know, I had aspired to move to Nashville to you know pursue the music industry and play drums, and so I approached him after the clinic and said, you know, introduce myself and hey, I'm a drummer. I'll be you know finishing up college and you know you're a marching guy. I'm in a drum line. You should come check us out at eight in the morning tomorrow. And he's like, I'll be there, buddy. And you know, he, he yeah. came out, you know, and he. he He's like, that's really cool, man. And we we just kind of hit it off and chatted. And I I gave him my my little spiel about you know being a college student, moving to Nashville, um, needing internship hours, and yeah, basically said you know when I move, you know put me to work. And of course he had um, he was really busy at the time, playing on a lot of records. Uh, he had his production company called New Voice Entertainment, right. Uh, which was him and two of the other members of Jason's band, the guitar player, Kurt, and bass player, um, Tully. 
and they produced Lindsay L and Thompson Square, and they, they produced a few number ones, and so they were really busy all the time, bouncing from studio to studio, and mm-hmm. and so he, you know, put me to work. I called him when I got to Nashville and said, "Hey, I'm I'm here. I have nothing to do except." you know work so he he took me up and put me to work and here we are there's there's an aspect of when you first met him that i thought was really interesting so there's a line of people after rich's clinic that are waiting to see him talk to him get an autograph and as the line was growing (laughs) you kept going to the back of the line hoping that that would buy you the time that you needed to assert yourself yeah and sneaky, yeah. smart. Give it, giving all my secrets away. Yeah. <laughs> On uh, Rich's podcast, he talks about that. That could have gone one of two ways. It could have been like, I'm out of time. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. But you kind of hedged your bets and I'm going to try this. I'm going to. Yeah. So you you've you asserted yourself, and that that I think with somebody like there's so many of us in the community know rich redmond and 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 know his personality of having and just being having this energy about him that he recognized that in you right off the bat um and you continue to be that way in many in many ways asserting yourself and finding ways to juggle many different things which we'll talk about but where do, where did that come from where, where do you think you maybe learned that or knew that that was an important skill to have or to develop uh i mean i, I don't necessarily know that it was uh, you know a conscious thing necessarily but it i mean it came from a genuine place uh, okay he, he i didn't know very much about rich at the time yeah um I, I didn't, you know, really grow up listening to country music, but because we're both from Central Ohio, right? We don't know anything about country music. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I knew who Jason Aldean was. Yes, yeah. I, you know, I knew he's, you know, successful country artist, and and Rich is very involved in the drumming community, as you know, everybody right. knows. Right. Um, he's had a long relationship with Modern Drummer and and other drum magazines. Um, so he writes a lot of articles for Modern Drummer, and yep. he's been in Modern Drummer numerous times so i kind of knew who he was and uh, you know that struck my curiosity more than anything is like well this guy is you know all over the map why don't i know anything about him um so going to see the clinic and stuff really opened my eyes to like oh this you know yeah he's, he's got his crap together you yeah. know and he's a huge personality super nice yep. guy so i wanted to you know, a piece of that, just like everybody else that, you know, knows who Rich is, you know, I approached her from like, man, you've, you know, very intelligent guy and he's crafted, you know, his own path to the music industry. So, but John, you were thinking more in the lines of drummer to drummer. Yeah. Sure. Not, Hey, uh, maybe I can work for him. Right. Yeah. It didn't, it wasn't, uh, it it wasn't on its own. Yeah, thing very, which you yeah, guys very met, much, very mm-hmm. much. which is interesting in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's more of an educational approach. Like I wanted to, like, how did you do it? You know, what's your story? I would love to, you know. There's a handful of don't. there's a handful of stories and, and examples of uh, people that have found mentors and followed uh, them around in, in one capacity or another. Um, 
uh, the name is escaping me, but who interned with, with uh, Chris McHugh and um, my brain is not working. But uh, what is like one of the biggest takeaways that you have taken from your experience with Rich? Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot. Um, but I, I think an important one is like learn from the guys who've been doing it since you've been born. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a reason why the guys that have been around 20 plus years that are still doing it. There's a reason why yep. they're still doing it. So, you know, learn from that to, you know, ask, ask questions and I mean people are more than willing to share their experience and tell their story and you know it's the same getting to know Harry you know here through the drum pad and just you know in the music community in general another great example you know a guy that's been doing it for longer than I've been alive you know there's a lot to take away from that so yeah I, I in an age of information it's sometimes harder to figure out what's going on because there's so much noise that I think people would be surprised how approachable most people are. And I hear story after story on this podcast of drummers that go to a situation, they go to see a band and they think, this is what I want to be a part of. Maybe not that band. Maybe it's the genre. Maybe it's a a studio player that they want to emulate Maybe it's something, and they say, hey, can I buy you coffee? Can I, I mean, I know that sounds the, the typical thing, but I mean, you mentioned this came from an honest place. This came from uh, a sincere place, and Rich recognized that. And I think that people do recognize that sincerity that comes from, I want to be a part of this. I'm hungry. How can I learn from you? And I think, you know, I, I have yet to meet somebody that is hesitant to talk about. Yeah, sure. Wow, you're interested in, and why would you be interested in me? Yeah. Well, Chad Cromwell, you've been on these records. <laughs> yeah. I think a, a, another thing too is um, everybody has had help along the way, right? So you know, the natural progression is to giving pass, back is pass not a bad thing. Yeah, making yourself available and accessible. To somebody who's moved to town, I get yeah. quite a few calls of yeah. young drummer. Hey, would it be possible to come by and meet you, mm-hmm. or have lunch, or grab a coffee? And I really try, and I have no idea who the person is, and mm-hmm. I'll make myself available yeah. to just you know spend some time with somebody. And who doesn't like a sandwich or a good cup of coffee? Anyway? No, I usually yeah. buy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I usually buy yeah. lunch. You're investing in people. I mean, we're always we're doing that, and you continue to do so. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just being trying to be nice and right, get along and trying. Everybody's everybody's trying to do the same thing, and there's plenty of room for everybody. You know, so there's no there's no reason to try to yeah. You know, put everything in a in a jar right. and put the lid right. on and. Sure. I mean, there's no secrets, you know, so. Briefly, tell us what it is that you're doing when you're teching for Rich, say, for example, on a tour. 
can you sum it up in a and, and a lot of this has been covered sure. but for anybody that's just meeting you for the first time through this what is a drum tech what does a drum tech what does john hall do for rich redmond uh, in a nutshell uh you, you're simplifying the day to where you know he can walk to the stage you hand him a pair of sticks plug in his ears and he's down to present. your handing him his sticks. Yes. He's not walking in with his own sticks. Yeah, usually See, I, now Seth picks up his own sticks. <laughs> yeah. See, I give Rich sticks in the afternoon. Rich requires John. John? Yeah. It's very needy. Sticks, please. Very needy. <laughs> not at all. Um, no, he likes to warm up with the sticks that he's going to start the show with. Yeah. So he's a practice pad backstage, and I, you know, I give him those sticks a couple hours before the show. Yeah. So he can... You know, diddle around and noodle and play on road cases and walls. And John, will you help dial in his monitor mix prior um, to sound check? Yeah, if if we need any changes. I mean, the age of digital consoles. Hey, man, this is my show. Okay. Oh, sorry, I'm not <laughs> supposed to be asking questions. I'm just curious. No questions. <laughs> so, Matt, what year did you start? No. <laughs> uh, um, Last year. Yeah, but on it, we've had so our monitor engineer. Um, Evan has worked with Jason for, I want to say, 13 years now. I mean, he was employee number one. Yeah. So he's been there forever. So he, and he knows the guys. And the age of digital consoles, I mean, everything is saved. Matt, that's a key to part a, to a T. of going on tour and going playing different venues. Yeah. Because the sound will change venue to venue. So for a drummer to be real comfortable, I was just curious about how far you go for Rich. Yeah, when when needed. I mean, we have a our monitor, you know, Evan is great, so he knows what the guys like to hear, so usually he'll get a really good start. But if there's anything that stands out, you know, when we line check or, you know, before the band has at the sound check, I'll tell him, like, hey, you know, he's probably going to want a little bit more kick drum in his mix today or a little more click or... Yes, you know, and every day is different there. because you're yeah. in different venues, different locations. You're playing acoustic instruments, yeah. So, to create uh, consistency for the drummer, you have to go in and deal with the environment that, in which you're you're playing, whether it's a TV show or an outdoor venue. Yeah, and I mean Harry can attest to this. All of that starts before the sound even gets to the microphones. Sure. You know, I you know I try to make sure Rich's drum set sounds exactly the same without having put the ears in. You know, you sit down and play through everything. Okay, it sounds like it should. Now let's see how it right. translates to the mix, and you know if mm -hmm. things need adjusted from there. But you know, and that's kind of my take. There are some gigs where they'll fly in with no sound check. Yeah. So the shit better be ready to go. Yeah. 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 It's what's well, saying. I mean, even if it's not a fly-in date, like there's some venues that are just difficult to bring a production in. So we might be pushed back till four or five o'clock getting, you know, everything ready on stage, mm -hmm. so the band doesn't have a chance to come in and sound check. Mm -hmm. You know. So. And your day starts early. It's a long well, day. Sometimes early, but yeah, it's a long... I mean, our day goes late more than starting early, I would okay. say. Because uh, yeah. Backline's the last guys in on the stage. Because um, so, there's lighting, there's stage. Yeah, right. so depending on how the production load-in goes in that day, you know, we might be sitting around waiting for a couple hours, mm -hmm. waiting you know, so we can dump our truck and get our gear in. Um, 
so it, that, that kind of varies day to day but once you start you know we're pretty much we go until the show's over you know, right we get through sound check and um i'm not sure about uh, keith's tour but we have a vip experience where jason and the band will play a, a small acoustic set oh wow um usually around dinner time so we'll we'll finish sound check um we'll go set up the vip Mm-hmm. gig um and then we'll have a little bit of time we can grab some dinner and then we go do the vip gig acoustic gig strike that break it down and then get back get set list ready for the show and you know get your eyes dotted and your t's crossed and set change and show time making sure electronics work have backups to the electronics yeah. so i mean Rock there's sticks, so much right. behind the scenes that i don't think people realize even those that are interested in working in the business we see so much of the presentation that you forget there's there's opportunities for work and being involved in this industry which we all love uh and 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 the people that we get to work with that are available uh that I, you know, hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on, on some of these things. Yeah. How big is your crew out with Keith Urban? How many guys uh, do you have on the road? On a, on a touring year, probably yeah. about 80, 70, 80. That's, yeah, that's when about. I was out working for Max Weinberg for many years, it was over 100. Right. And when I started that job, <clears throat> I'll never forget a guitar tech who was there for a long time. He said, make sure you have a spare for the spare. Mm-hmm. Wow. I never forgot that. So if you're using your spare, you you better have a backup. Yeah. Cause so what kind of spin? There's the, there's the obvious. There's the snare. A couple of pedals, a couple of snare drums. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, believe it or not, I had a seat break on me during a show once, and it traumatized me. Max was playing, and it was a third song in, big show. Springsteen, obviously. Next thing I know, I see Max kind of like falling to one side, leaning on his floor, Tom. His seat broke. Think about that. You may as well just have another drum kit <laughs> underneath the stage. Right, right. Anything can go. That's, yeah. Yeah. I've, in all my years, I've never. How did seen you handle that? that? Um, but before I could get another seat up there, one of the keyboard techs just ran a seat out because he saw it happen, you wow. know, and everybody was scrambling. Yeah. But I guess as uh, a backline tech, not just the drum tech, you want to avoid anything that's going to be a showstopper, at least for drums. Mm. A bass drum head. Mm-hmm. You know, we can change out a pedal, we could change out a snare drum, but you don't want the backbeat to stop. <laughs> yeah, we 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 got a kind of running joke on our bus. Uh, I on Jason's tour, uh, backline and audio right on the same bus, and you know our kind of running joke is, you know, if something on our end breaks, it's a showstopper. Like we refund tickets. Yeah, so. Can't, yeah, you can't have well, that for an yeah. artist to literally have to stop playing. I mean, thank you, Lord, that's never happened to me during yeah. a show, and I've thirty-seven years where the show literally, like, the artist would have to say, "Hold on a minute, we got a technical problem." That's what right, you, not that's for what you don't for want. a yeah. 
these tours. Yeah, and when you situation. look out, I mean, we'll have her stadium show. Yeah, I mean, Rich breaks snareheads not often, but you know, he, he, most of the time he'll blow out the bottoms. Yeah, I've drum. seen that happen. You know, it's two or three, maybe four times a tour. Like it's not. Un- I'm ready for it every day. Just like that thing's gonna just he's gonna blast it out. Um, but I always have his drum ready to go, mm-hmm. and you know, we can usually get that snare swapped out quick enough to where we don't have to say, "Hey, Jason, talk for a minute." You know, we'll just. <laughs> But on a day in and day out with our jobs, we just keep checking things. Yeah. Yeah. Stress on hardware. You know, it's mm, just, wow, okay. just, you just go over it a hundred times. Yeah. You know, like, you know, preventative maintenance, you see something kind of getting worn out. So, yeah. That's real important, especially with the heavy hitter. I mean, Rich is, you know, yeah. M- most people, if you haven't seen Rich play, oh yeah, he's... look up anything you can find. I mean, he's just a animal of a drummer, right, so right, right. he's hard on equipment. Yeah, you know, so like, you don't want anything moving during no. the show. No, just getting away from you. Yeah, and there's the seat. Is there anything else that, that a story or something that just had to be? dealt with that's that was unique to your situation you know to be honest with you that was the most yeah craziest unexpected thing that that has happened to me like a drummer's playing in front of 40 50 thousand people and you see him falling i was like what's going on like and then i ran run up and the seat one of the tripods piece of metal broke that's crazy but, and i can't imagine it being a cheap seat either no, no i'm not gonna mention any company names <laughs> <laughs> no it was a freak thing i think it was a rivet yeah. that popped out but okay. i've been very fortunate like nothing really john what about you is anything really unusual or scary crazy has happened as far as like gear goes nothing I mean, other than blowing out a head or breaking yeah, a cymbal, yeah. um, Rich, he sweats a lot, so his ears will clog up sometimes or get, get sweat. If he gets sweat in his ears, it'll... Oh, yeah. So we'll have to, you know, swap out his in-ears, but, you know, it's we've got that down. You know, it takes just a couple seconds to swap that out, so... Yeah. I mean, most of what we've had, you know, go wrong on, you know, during a show is, you know, we can get it turned around quick enough to where the band doesn't really even know what's going on yeah i know there was a there was a performance was it american idol where you weren't on the the gig and he had to set up in the it was in la yes so i mean there's a there's a situation where you weren't available and rich had to set up drums himself the drums showed up late the band showed up late yeah and with a tv show there's a schedule there and he had to literally get things set up in like 10 minutes well they were ready to do camera blocking so the band came out yeah so usually so and, and you know harry's done way more tv and you know word shows that i've done but usually what will happen is we will go up we'll set the stage as normal line check with the audio and the and the uh broadcast truck make sure everything's good and then when it's scheduled to do camera blocking rehearsals with the band they walk out on stage and okay, let's run it, let's camera block and done. So they walk the band out at the camera blocking, basically like, hey, let's you know sit down, 
get your ears in. Okay, let's let's run this. Check with the broadcast truck. And the gear wasn't set up. I mean, he came out to do camera blocking, and the drums were in cases oh, on the geez. riser. <laughs> it was like that was a bad day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, that was you know, I was. Um, it was the first year I worked with Jason, and they were, you know, small crew. They're like, oh, we don't need to bring the drum. They were trying to basically get the crew down to you know, as few people as they could just for I bet that for never happened or whatever. again. Yeah, no, that didn't happen again. But it's just one of those things, like, you know, they, they learn, like, oh, well, I guess we need everybody here so this doesn't happen again, you know. So when Rich comes out to, ready to play and his drums are still in cases. Oh, boy. That's that's bad yeah because yeah, then the the whole yeah, tv off. schedule's off then you know, so then you, you know the producers of the show are like what's going on and you know so yeah you can't have that fortunately i haven't been in that situation you know where i've bumped the schedule. we've had some pretty tight turnarounds and i bet but we manage and and you've got things dialed in in such a way that you can get it set up. Whether yeah. it's you just you know the kit, you've got the memory locks, you've you've inserted fail safes to yeah. make that happen. Yeah, and even if it's a rented drum set, you know where you're building everything from scratch. You know, I've worked with Rich in a lot of different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I know what he wants, and mm-hmm. you know I, I can kind of right, do a right, second right. nature. So. Also, <clears throat> the drum tuning, which we haven't really touched right. on, is a key part yes. of what we do. Mm-hmm. Depending on, you know, you, you get familiar what you know what Rich likes and where he wants his snare drum. And I like to make sure that when the show starts that, that the drum heads and the kit itself is going to sound just as good as at the end of the show when they start. Mm. Yeah, so I may jump up and you know and and not be seen and and just tighten the snare up. Wow, things mm. like that. It's uh-huh. not hard. It's but it's something that I pay attention to. Yeah, sure. Is is there something that is there some advice or skills that somebody can be developing or be aware of if they're interested in doing? The, some of the work that you guys are doing, whether it's cartage or being a tech, backline tech, I'm guessing, you know, drum tuning. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say um, really know your equipment and, and, and be comfortable with it. I've worked for a lot of drummers, even not on a professional level, that are kind of clueless with changing a drum head or they're sure. intimidated um like anything else you want to be confident yeah so i would recommend not that if your kit's set up at home or if you're playing locally you need to change heads a lot but it's not a bad thing t- to know uh not just how to do it but experiment with different tunings like on the toms if you want a real deep lower sound but you don't want the head to have a ripple in it yeah like spend time with that yeah just like if you're going to practice it's not a bad thing sure to, sure to, to to have that under your belt yeah it's a key thing even if you don't want to 
tech. I mean, just as a player, you want to be able to dial your drums to sound how you want them to sound. Totally. If you don't know how For, to do that, it's then, a worthy endeavor. It's sure. a, it's a it's a it's a good way. And it's so interesting that you say that. Even Billy Ward talks about that. It's like how I'm spending, say the the hour that I have set aside for practice time. It may not always be playing, but I mean, there's skills that you can develop. You can acquire. Yeah. And I remember being a kid on like my first drum kit and when I started playing with a band and I needed to change a snare head or a tom, I was like scared of it. I didn't, of course I didn't know, you know, what I was trying to do. And yeah, it's one thing to put a drum head on, but to get it to sound that sweet spot yeah and like anything else the more you do it right and i'm through the years you develop i'm very confident i bet like in any situation in the studio live you know spend the time with your equipment and 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 experiment yeah just jump jump into the deep into the pool and it's not it's not a bad thing no, I mean, that's that's how I. I'm sure you, same thing for you. But I mean, that's how I learned just from being in in high school. You know, I was in jazz band and marching band and mm-hmm. concert band, and you know, it came time to change the heads on our bass line. It's like, guess who got to do it? And I was like, okay, here we go. That's, yeah, you know, and that's it's not an easy thing. Yeah. You're tuning a, a two sided, like a concert bass drum or right. marching. Like, it's not an easy thing to tune five of those suckers to be at the right pitch and to sound exactly the same on both sides and like it's a it's a it's a challenge and you yeah. know over you, you the more you do it you get better at it and you you know you kind of know a little bit more what you're doing but like yeah you know, first it's not just gonna you're not gonna wake up one day and be good at that this episode is brought to you by drumsellers.com the niche marketplace where drummers drum retailers and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. You've mentioned a couple times, and even to me personally, your experience doing the Super Bowl halftime show Uh with Bruce. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, I will say that was probably the pinnacle as far as it doesn't get bigger than that and it was such an experience prior to the halftime performance i didn't realize but it was in at the time it was in tampa we went down for rehearsal and literally they have a drill sergeant or ex-marine i i had heard he was in you know vietnam he was in charge of logistically getting the equipment <laughs> where we were set up that's awesome and it rolled literally down a street and into the stadium and onto the field and off the field we practiced it for a week wow and i had no idea obviously tv commercials and all that but it was such an amazing experience to see it all go down and everything obviously is on rolling risers but each uh musician that's on the ride you know on the riser with his equipment has a crew surrounding there's 25 stage hands just for that 
and there's 20 for my drum kit and oh wow uh it was awesome and you guys probably played live yeah and we got it out <laughs> yeah. there and uh, except for Bruce's vocals they were all tracked you know i could uh <laughs> i just remember when the pyro went off at the end of the show i think after born to run i thought my arm was on fire <laughs> It was wow. singed it's, from the heat, but it was such a great experience. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and I mean, nowadays most bands don't even play live. You know, they'll track live yeah, the, and then mine, but the singers will sing. The audio uh, audio analysts, I believe, did 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 the audio. Um, they won some kind of an award for it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So but it was mad. It was a. Great, it was one of the highlights. Just the whole experience of of being involved with something that big, and that was another time where you're literally, you know, I'm I'm watching Max play at the time, and I was like, please don't let anything break. I mean, yeah. just. Yeah, well, did they feel the same way? I mean. You know they they were amped up, yeah. They, yeah. Uh, they, it was a big deal for everybody involved. That's really cool. I mean, to know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Bruce. Decades uh, of massive touring and be like, hey, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking it yeah. that seriously. Yeah. I don't know, John. What was one of your more excitable gigs? Um, Again, I'm asking the question. <laughs> You're good at it, man. He's a question asker. I want to work. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. You want to make the big bucks? AT and T, Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, we've done some pretty cool. Ga- we did uh, a big one, a co-headline tour with Kenny Chesney a few yeah. summers ago, where we did football stadiums, and that's a pretty cool. I mean, Harry did football stadiums for you know a decade with Bruce Springsteen, but you know that was yeah. like the first time that we you know did multiple like show shows not just for an award show or a special event or a festival mm-hmm. um that, that's a pretty exciting thing i mean you go out and it's like we did you know at the at&t stadium down in texas it's mm. a big place you know it's a funny <laughs> thing matt when you do a stadium gig as a, you know your technician and want to make sure everything's going to be good as good as it could be for your guy it's a little tricky not to get caught up in the excitement and hype of it all because when they open the doors and they let people in and you see that place fill up but really it's a quit it's gear and it's we're not you're not flying the space shuttle you know what i mean it's not like we're trying to put somebody on the moon it's a concert it's a fun inv- you know mm-hmm. but there's so much it oh, ramps yeah. up during oh, the yeah. day yeah and i remember um on a springsteen show in a stadium they sell the field so it's not just putting people in the seats it's like at a soccer stadium yeah like in Europe. that's old school man all like the field so it's 80 100,000 people but anyway it's crazy it, it, it gets pretty nuts when you're you're just trying to get, make it through the gig and get to the next gig stay focused on and it's, I mean the, the crowds are loud too yeah. I mean we did the Seattle football stadium with with Chesney it's like one of the loudest stadiums right country. it's what I hear I mean in the between fans. songs it's like you know if, if Rich just, you know hey I mean, whatever and the crowds just oh, I mean you're like 
dude, you gotta. But you guys have nonverbal communication happening as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is helpful because, I mean, most of the band guys can walk over to talk back while they're playing and say, "Hey, can I turn on my amp where, where I need to hear drink or I need whatever?" You know, Rich is using all four limbs. Yeah. And his drum set's super loud, so it's like if he needs something, he can't just stop and go, "Hey, uh, can I?" You know, blah 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 blah. It's you know, he kind of has to do some gesturing, and you you got to keep your, keep a lookout and kind of pick up on the whatever he might need, whether it be a Q-tip, you know, because his ears are clogged up, or an ice towel or something. You know, if it's a hundred degrees out there and he's you know halfway yeah. to a heat stroke, it's like you gotta. I'm calling you for my next man. This is yeah. He's the guy for my for my little gigs that I'm passing out on and in plugged up ears and all the things. By the way, he's not cheap. (laughs) Hey man, I play with the Matt Gray band. I can afford you. Yeah. I know some of those guys. Yeah. Uh, Hacks, man. Um, A guitar player. (laughs) A guitar player. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you guys about electronics uh, and how Maybe as an example of what, what, one of what is that term? Electronics. Right, electronics. Maybe or some other examples of how the industry has changed or evolved and how it affects the jobs that, that you do over time. Maybe from when you started to to now. I, I don't mean this as a joke, but Harry probably would be better at to talk about there's a, I know this might, there might be a window of time for you, but I know that, no, that there's yeah, we been can obvious. We'll talk about it real quickly. Um, when I started with Keith, um, with Chris McHugh, you know, he had a rack behind him and, and with tracks. Right. And by the way, these guys can play their butts off. They don't need it. No. Need it, but yeah. we all know with pop music, it's become kind of part of the whole sound these days. And um, Chris taught me a lot. But a- as it evolved, they brought somebody in to just do that. Especially for TV shows or and and this shows. this is, this is a performer that's performing the electronics on stage, not behind the scenes loading discs and blah blah. No, blah. he's not doing that. I I don't know if he would literally be set up on stage. Oh, okay, but maybe in the wing, and there's communication with him in, in the band. Gotcha. And, um, it's evolved quite a bit. Yeah. through the years, it's a full time um, gig, like a, being um, a tracks. Operator. Many years ago, I worked with Bruce Hornsby in the range, John Molo. They had a, oh, yeah. an MPC-60 drum machine wow. that they would use during, you know, to, to play. And well, yeah, that's just the way it is, man. What? Uh, and, um, <laughs> you know, then uh, obviously the rolling pads and, yeah. you know, there's different variations of electronics, but... I don't claim to be, I'm, you know, pretty old school. My forte is uh, tuning and acoustics, mm-hmm. and but it's something you got to stay up on. You know, there's always uh, new gear coming out. It's crazy. It's, I imagine it's just like practicing your craft. You just need to know, be, be up on stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's hard because, I mean, there's, there's so much new you know gear and equipment coming out all the time it's i mean it's hard to keep up with all that um usually what'll happen is you know if you're on a gig and they have some equipment you haven't used before it's like okay well let me you know look some stuff up in the manual or get you know get familiar with this so i kind of know what i'm getting into right um like I've, i've done you know a handful of 
sub gigs over the last couple of years, you know, go out with a, with a pop band or yeah. it went with like American, yeah. all American rejects or young, the giant, like those kind of bands, you know, they just, they have their pop bands and, you know, they have tracks rigs and you never know what you're getting into with that. So, um, like when I did the, the young, the giant, like their tracks rig ran two keyboard rigs and two guitar rigs as well as the playback. So, you know, when you're flying out day of a show and, you know, you might get a couple pictures of, you know, how everything's set up and the tech will kind of walk, you know, he'll, you know, maybe call ahead of time and here's what you're getting into or whatever, but you really don't know until you're there. So, you know, you're running all these MIDI lines and going, going through the, the Ableton setup and, you know, like, well, and we'll you've got to know which, so we, and, and it's not one size fits all with different brands and, right. and, and then right. different programs. Ableton's going to run differently if they're running sure. other types of DAWs and different things sure. like that. And even just with one program like Ableton, I mean, the possibilities of what you can do are endless. I've used Ableton just to generate a click mm-hmm. and it's click track if the drummer yeah. wants it. Yeah. And it's a great tool and yeah. I, I i hear nothing but great things about ableton and its ease of use especially in a live situation even though that's what it wasn't its original intent but it has become the go-to for live tracks the thing about ableton my understanding is that it can be customized so much so that when you come into a new situation it could look completely different than the ableton rig you used the week before yeah and I think just and if you are that guy that is needs to be ahead of the game to get the job done, you've got to know 110 percent of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. I, I would just say uh, for all your drummers out there, it's a must to to have some experience mm-hmm. with your computer generating some kind of loop or click track. So you need to be prepared if you're. On a session, hey, you know, they may ask you to do that for them or play live and, and generate some kind of click track for the band yeah, or tracks. So uh, I'm, I'm sure most of the listeners know that, but mm-hmm. it's never ends. There's always stuff coming out, new stuff, new gear. <laughs> And it's easy to get intimidated, but it's, it, it is interesting. Uh, and to assert yourself in a way that you know that you can figure this stuff out. Uh, I've shared this story before. I had a producer who says, hey, we're working on some new stuff and we're building tracks. Can you build tracks? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, because I'm trying to make myself valuable mm-hmm. and an essential part of the team that's being built around this new artist. I left the rehearsal and called my friend and said, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you got to help me because I have a guru. I have connections with people that can help me if I need it and then get me started. Well, two years later, I'm building tracks. I'm, you know, I've become a part of the team and it's not as complex as what, you, you know. You didn't shy away from it because no, you're intimidated. No, I, you don't no. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, that's it's not how I came up or we didn't use, you know, mm-hmm. that. No, I'm, when I think electronics and different things like that to be to re, to remain relevant uh to be a working uh part of this community it's you can't shy it's away essential. from from uh, things that you don't know well you, you did the right thing too and i, I mean something you touched on like you reached out 
to somebody you know it's like they can help you you know rather than go oh i'm just going to figure this out on my own and yeah. you know maybe take a chance and you know botching the gig yeah. you reached out and prepared i wanted to ask you about your work with with jeff Picaro and um and of course, I know you've worked with so many different wonderful players, and there's so many huge fans of Steve Gadd and Jeff Procaro, and you've worked with both of these guys. But is there anything that you might Man, be able I to miss share? Jeff. <clears throat> yeah, I think we all do. We all do. Um, sweetheart, magical time, me- great memories. And for the record, I wasn't his only tech there for a long time. Paul Jameson was Jeff's guy back in the early days. And then um, Gary Grimm worked with him. And then Gary went off and I did jumped in. Um, man, like, what could I say? Going on the road with Toto <laughs> and sitting behind Jeff and incredible. Um, I worked with him a little bit in the studio on a Madonna record and... Uh, just blew my mind what he could do physically mm-hmm. playing you know um anything yeah. unique about what he needed from you um yeah he just made he told me when i first worked for him hey babe make sure you got my cigarettes and my lighter <laughs> <laughs> seriously yeah and he said it's gonna be great you know, it's going to be great. We're going to have a blast. And we did. And I'll tell a quick funny story. Uh, they did a gig in Puerto Rico opening up for Rod Stewart. I have a picture of Jeff and I at that gig. And um, it was backline rental, rental, you know, local gear. And when I got there and looked at the drum kit, I was like, oh, geez. You know, you've heard of that expression, polishing a turd. Yeah, right. I knew to have drum heads. I put heads on the kit and and, and got it pretty dialed in. And I, I was waiting for Jeff to show up for sound check. And I was like, ooh, I got to break the news to him. You know, like, this kid is pretty beat up. And he comes in. He says hi to the guys in the band. I let him do his thing. Walks back to me. How we doing? I said, Jeff, this kit. He looked at it and went, it's going to be great, babe. It's play and wave. That's what he said. Play and wave. And the story is, is he just didn't affect him at all. The great players. Yes. And we know. You know, not to start naming names, but there are certain guys that could sit down behind any kit in any situation and they can play it like, you know, they're throwing for five touchdowns on a Sunday. Wow. You know, so great memories. And Steve Gadd um, was such an awesome uh, opportunity. I did a lot of work with Rick Murata, um through the years, and Rick recommended me to work with Steve. When I first worked with Steve, it was at a session at Ocean Way in L.A., and this is back in the day when guys brought in 
20 snare drums, 25, and those big snare trunks. Yeah. Like that, that's just what you did. And Rocket Cargo got the stuff to the studio, and I went in to set up Steve, and I open up his snare case, his little snare case, <laughs> and there were two snare drums, and they were both the same drums. Superphonic 400 where the head was on for a couple of years. Right. Hey, I have that. And I realized <laughs> that's what you get when you hire Steve. Steve didn't he he didn't order additional equipment to have there. Yeah. It was his kit with his snare drums, but I ended up Matt working with him uh, on some sessions and then I went on the road with him with Al Jarreau. Mm. Which was, I mean, think about that. I grew up listening to these guys and, and idolizing Jeff Picaro and Steve Gadd. And as a drum tech, they trust me to, to take care of their equipment and make sure it's, it's right. And then mm -hmm. to sit behind them. You have to, what happened to me is I'd get caught up in the show musically and I'd kind of like be daydream. Sure. Like, drifting off watching them play and i'd have to catch myself going pay attention right watch right. making sure nothing's going to go wrong here because i was in awe watching them play every night that's amazing yeah it was great that's got to be a, that would be a challenge mm -hmm. just to be like the crowd to see everything just be like wait i gotta be on point constantly. and both and and just incredibly down-to-earth humble human beings like never full of themselves never taking themselves so seriously mm. you know so th that made an impression on me yeah you know to be those guys and to do what they've achieved and to really have you know be humble about it to carry that with you throughout yeah all that you do. it's a special thing yeah and back around what you said earlier takeaways there's there's a lot of unspoken things like that that you learn from people Mm -hmm. You know, just think things that they don't necessarily say to you, or you know, things that are, for example, easy to verbalize. Like, like just what Harry was just being a humble person and having a great attitude. Of, mm -hmm. You know, making the best out of a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. You know, going into that Puerto Rico well, gig and, and going, it's going to be great, and they, you know, doesn't phase him like. That's you know you learn from those little experiences. So you know and. You just—it's things that you take with you, and yeah. you know, if you're in a crappy situation like that, again, you got to make you, it work. Yeah, whatever yeah. you're dealt with yeah. as a player, right? It, right. That's the and, and that's you, it, Matt. You play, and if you're at a gig and you had to use a kit, and it's what is it going to do by you being angry and and, and throwing a nothing, fit? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And drag down other people bad, around me. Yeah. Yeah. Put you in a bad headspace. Yeah, and it does not make you the type of player or person that other people want to be around uh, to be able to handle situations and in all their forms. And when you travel and when you are in different venues, it just you, going back to Billy Ward again. I mean, you know, it's like you need to be best on your worst days. And I think attitude that rules. It, it's a key part of what we do because we're working with a lot of people day in and day out and we're living on a bus with them. Yeah. And um, there's always one in the group that's complaining about the food or the, 
how long the bus ride is. Or yeah, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. Fly no. under the radar, keep your mouth shut, and take the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right? Because we've had worse jobs. Yeah, we've right, all had jobs. Right. You can right. be reminded of that real quick when you get fired. It's a hard life. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's got, there's a mm-hmm. part of it, it really needs to be in your blood because... You're sacrificing being away from your family. You got kids. You're missing things, cheerleading, dance recitals. I missed a lot when my daughter was growing up. Mm -hmm. And I had to work through that. Felt bad and guilt, but then I provided a great life for my family. Now she's older, and I can make get some of that back and make it up. But eating healthy is not easy to do. No. When now on a real tour, on a big touring year, uh, John and I are lucky enough to work for artists that take out their own catering. But sometimes, if you're doing a fair or festival and you're eating oh, it's local, cater- it's really tough. And there's a lot of downtime because you go in early in the morning. There's four or five uh, acts, bands on 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 the, on, on the concert that night. So you'll set up and you'll roll back so the other bands can sound mm-hmm. check and you yeah. have hours. It's easy to slip into bad habits. Very easily. And I've seen guys, you know, eat too much, drink too much, sleep too much, you know, start, you know, not on the tour that I'm on now, but years ago, boy, I saw a lot of guys just... And then they have an attitude like it's a party. It's not that either. No. It's a real job, and the traveling is brutal now. Going through an airport, oh yeah, and flying all day to get to a gig, and then turning around and coming home, or long bus rides, you know. So my point is, is it's not as glamorous as it could sound. You know, we make it out to sound sometimes. When you check off those boxes, okay, I'm going to make sure I, you know, I don't overdo these things. I have me time. I have. I'm taking care of myself uh, physically and nutritionally uh, to handle the times that I'm going to be flying or on a bus. That it's like an incubator for viruses and all yeah. these things. You can power through and and take away the best of what it is uh, that drew us to this industry. You know for sure. One last question. Any advice that you would give your younger self? I know that's just a few years ago for you. Oh, (laughs) I hate that you said that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead, John. I'll put me on the spot. Um, Johnny on the spot. Wait. No, that's a company. That's our new sponsor. Any advice? You just nailed it, man. No, you've just no, been doing so. everything. I, I mean, I, I've been places. I've, guy. No, I've been I've been really fortunate with the the people that I've had in my life. So I've had a lot of support um, from friends and family, and and I've been really fortunate to know um, some people that have, you know, been in the music industry for a long time, um, and. Uh, they've passed a lot of really great advice. Um, and, uh, I, I think that's helped me out a lot Yeah. And rather than learning from all of your own mistakes yeah. for decades. You know, you can, you can take little bits and pieces of information that, that those that have come before you 
can pass along and you can learn from those things and know, you know, well, don't, don't, this probably not a good idea to do this, or this is a better way to handle this situation. Um, so, I mean, I guess the advice that I would have given myself would be to, um, use my ears a little bit more and, and listen to people that have had more experience. And it sounds like you've done that. Or, but 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 uh, and has served you well. Yeah, and yeah. and you know when you're when you're younger, you know, I think you're a little bit more closed-minded when you're younger. You of know, course, you, you think, oh well, you know, I'm going to do it differently, or I would, you know, yeah, whatever. But um, I would say, you know, just sit back and listen to other people's advice, and don't be afraid to ask questions, and mm-hmm. you know. Don't pretend like you know more than you do. You know, I think it's better to play ignorant and listen. Even if somebody's giving you information that you might already know, mm-hmm. still sit sit back and listen, and you, know, you just take in, be a sponge, and, and listen, take in everything you can. Yeah. Um, I, I I honestly don't think that goes away. Right. You know, I think no, there's it always, never does. And 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 I'm I'm at a point now where. I, of course, I've had the luxury of of having the podcast. I I get to talk to lots of and and so many players are younger than me, or I get advice from from people that are in the industry but have different experiences than me, and they don't have to necessarily be older than me to really take that in. So, I mean, you're coming at it at a place early in life when you started with Rich, but. Uh, I think it's it's good to know that even for people that are older to not close your you know to stay open to uh, to advice and information from people of all ages you know and then figure it out f- from there yeah my advice it took me years to learn this but don't react hastily or too fast to a situation that you're not happy about hmm. whether it's a coworker you know you're you're working with a lot of people um, if something happens before you open your mouth and react I mean, you can apply this even at home with your family because <laughs> yes. we all know we kind of wish we hadn't said things right away but that's a hard thing to do right especially with what we do, like somebody taking a case that you need and it's was pushed to the other side of the arena and you're like, where's my snare case? Where's – like, what are you guys doing? You know, like it's easy to like f- tee off on somebody, mm-hmm. but it, it's discipline to just yeah. handle it a different way, to, to, to not be an ass about it. Especially it's hard to do. Especially with stagehands, it might be your fiftieth show. You know, they're people, but it's their Matt, first. Time. Like we go into these places and we see some rough-looking people, and you know, the especially pop- local crew that yeah, don't know the, you. well, they don't know your gear, and you know, they don't. But know what you, you could need. tell they don't have a lot going on, and and you know, I don't want to get sidetracked into talking about local stagehands, but they're real. They're people too. Well, yeah, make them feel good about their job and what they're doing because we need them to but me on a personal level i've reacted too swiftly 
with getting news, whether it's with Drum Paradise, like, oh, I got bad news. We just backed into a car. You know what I mean? Like an employee, mm -hmm. like there's always things you have to deal with. So try and before you open your mouth. Assess of, the situation yeah, and figure out and that, the best way yeah, to handle it. For, yeah, that, I think that's good yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah, One One thing I, I will add yeah. um, for, for people listening, um, I know we can't, you know, take live questions right now i'm sure other people have questions yeah um don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions i mean everybody's on social media these days yeah. everybody has an email address it's yeah. easy to, to get that information like if you have questions re reach out. whether it's for us or you know for me or whoever or, or somebody right. that you you know that you idolize like don't be afraid to to reach out with a question we've had we've had and that's great you that you remind uh, uh me to share with the listeners that there's always opportunities uh to reach any of the guests and any of us uh even if you can remember you know email addresses and instagram handles you can find us you can find i've had people reach out to me about guests that from two years ago and said hey I need to get a hold of so-and-so for that book I can't find anymore online. And I'm able to reach out to all of our guests and everybody. So if anybody's listening and has a question for John or Harry, you can find it at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Does anybody, you, and you're at drumparadise.net. So, I mean, there's, there's contact information on the website. Uh, what's your contact information if we, uh, and we we'll, we and we always have links on in our show notes that you can tap on your phone or on the website too. So yeah, but that's a great great thing. Yeah, Instagram and, Drum Paradise yeah, yeah. Nashville or drumparadise.com. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Or the drumpad.com, same thing. Drumpad. You can submit an email on drumpad.com. Yeah. Um, so I I'm I'm fairly active on Instagram as well. Um, which is Johnny, uh, Johnny Fletch drums. So if you can put that link in there, if somebody wants yeah. to reach out and I try to do, um, like short tech tips, Johnny Fletch.com, J O N N Y Fletch. Yeah. .com. Yeah. The man. Yeah. The kid, the kid, the legend he loves being the kid. Hey, Matt, thanks. For That'll having, change. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. See ya. Peace out. Many thanks to John and Harry for taking some time to speak with us about their work and uh, their thoughts on drum teching and just being entrepreneurial in a variety of ways in this business. Harry has been super kind to the podcast in making his space available for us. If you see the video on YouTube of the 200th episode and the two parts that we have filmed at the drum pad, we also did some filming for this interview. It doesn't look fancy. I'm going to throw some graphics on there and it's going to be essentially what you're hearing now, the audio, and it's going to be uh, available uh, hopefully within the next week, but we wanted to get the audio portion of this episode out right away to you. We're experimenting with some video work so that we can bring you uh, the occasional live interview with an interactive audience with um, the use of that facility that Harry and John are putting together. Next week, Zach Albetta's interview. He is, uh, has interviewed uh, Johnny Radelat, Gary Clark Jr.'s drummer. Uh, stay tuned for that next week. 
Also, don't forget, check out our Patreon page. We've got little educational tidbits that we are offering from past guests. We have just started doing this. Right now, the thing that's up there is practicing tips from Ben Caesar. We've got some other things coming, some additional PDFs, videos, and other things that uh, we want to reward our patrons with. So if you are not a Patreon member, you will not be able to access these fun things and educational things. Uh, But if you are a Patreon member, even at $1 a month, uh, you can have access to these things. And um, just our way of saying thanks for offering your support to what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast. But we appreciate you all interacting and listening and uh, keep in touch. Bye-bye. 